I pray over this message, Father God, that you've given to me to give to your people. And I am overwhelmed with awe with what you have just unveiled to me and how it is stirring in my soul and in my mind and in my heart and even in my body to give this message. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. I can't wait to see the effectualness of the power of your Holy Spirit through this word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are on week 10 of Wisdom Keys for Healing. Next week is going to be our final week of Wisdom Keys. And I'm, what I'm planning on doing, I've done this in the past, but what I'm planning on doing is putting together a whole um, Word document that has all 11 of the Wisdom Keys with a little summary of each one with a link to get to the videos, with a link to get to the audios, and with a link to get to the handouts. So you'll have a tool both for yourself and to give to people because it's an amazing series of teachings. So as soon as we complete it, we'll have that to give to you. So I, I'm excited about that as well. This teaching that I'm giving today, the title is Hopefulness, Not Hopelessness. Hopefulness, Not Hopelessness. Last week, Kathy taught a, a session, by the way, wasn't that teaching phenomenal? Give Kathy a hand. <laughs> if you weren't here, you need to listen to it. I just posted it today on Facebook. So, yeah, it was awesome, awesome, powerful teaching. And Kathy, I'm just, I, I posted on my Facebook how proud I am of you. I feel like a spiritual mama, <laughs> proud of her daughter. So I was very excited. But she was teaching on the soul. She was teaching on examining your heart, and your heart is your soul. And one of the things that Kathy really honed in on is the importance of replacing lies with truth. It's a big deal. A lot of times we're believing lies, and we don't even know we're believing lies. What I'm teaching today, I think, is one of those lies, one of those deceptive lies that the enemy is pretty good at getting us to buy. It's the lie of being hopeless. So I want to start with giving you a biblical definition of hope. And then we'll go into this whole um, uh, paradigm of getting rid of hopelessness and replacing it with hopefulness. So God's definition of hope is favorable and confident expectation. Favorable, meaning good, good expectation confident expectation. God's kind of hope is a happy anticipation of good. A joyful, happy anticipation, like, like a little one that's anticipating a birthday party or anticipating a vacation or anticipating Christmas. It's that kind of joyous, happy anticipation. And the object of our hope or the source of that hope is God and his promises. The reason that we have that confidence, the reason we have that joyful anticipation and expectation is because the source is God and we know God. The source is God and his promises and we know his promises. So that's the source of that hope. Now the world's definition of hope isn't that at all. The world's definition is very watered, 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 watered down. It's something like, I wish that would happen or that would be nice if it would happen. It carries no power. It carries no weight. But God's hope does. So we're going to start with the, the lie, the deception of hopelessness. The suffix ness in, in grammar means a state of being. So hopelessness is the state of being without hope. Now, a state of being is a big deal. State of being isn't based on um, um, doing things like, like, if I do this, I'll have this. State of being is like who you are. If you are buying this lie, it is a lie, but it doesn't feel like a lie. It feels really real. It feels like who you are. It's a mistaken identity that the enemy has tricked you into buying. But hopelessness is the state of being without hope. 
Now, the default of the world, this is what happens in the world, and we see it all the time. In our lives, we have things that we hope for, things that we are expecting or anticipating. Now, in, this, in the context of this class, it's healing. We are expecting healing because we know the truth and we know the giver of the truth and we know his faithfulness. So we have that hope. But in the default of the world, if our hope takes a hit, it might be a bad doctor's report. It might be hearing something like I just told you about, Jerry. If your hope takes a hit or if your hope is deferred, the enemy can replace hope with hopelessness. He can steal your hope and try to get you to buy the lie of hopelessness. Proverbs 13, verse 12 is going to be our foundational scripture for this teaching. And this is the scripture. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. So we're going to look at both halves of the scripture. The first half says hope deferred makes the heart sick. So we're going to start here. When it talks about a sick heart, it's talking about sickness of the soul. Kathy talked about that last week. She talked about when the soul is wounded, when the soul has been hurt, when the soul is sick. There are two things that are warring for the real estate of our heart or our soul, two opposite forces. The first one is the lie, the lie of hopelessness. It's that thing that is possible to happen if your hope has been damaged or deferred. And because your hope has been, you know, you've, you've gotten an attack against your hope because that hope has been attacked with a report or something or maybe a symptom or what have you. And when that happens, it, it puts you into this place of deception. It's the father of lies that's doing this, guys. It's the enemy. Deception, discouragement, despair. Confusion, unbelief, doubt, and unbelief, all of that stuff. That's one thing that's warring for your soul. Now, we're not talking about your body. Your body has, if you're a believer, you have already received the full finished work of Jesus. This is the soul we're talking about, but the soul we want to prosper so that we can prosper in every area, especially right now we're talking about healing. So, that's warring for your heart. But the other thing that's warring for your heart is truth. Truth. Your desire fulfilled in being a tree of life. That's warring for your heart. And that's based on truth and the promises of God that have already been purchased for you. So you have the lie of hopelessness and discouragement. And you have the truth of God's promise that's already been accomplished for you. Those two things are warring for your heart. What I want to share with you now is a, a, is a kind of a, a, a picture or a snapshot of what it looks like to get a spiritual infection. Um, and I called it the spiritual infection of hopelessness. So in the natural, if you have a wound, if you have any kind of wound, there is a potential for infection. That doesn't mean you're going to get an infection. But there's a potential if you have an open wound and you have to take care of it. In the spiritual realm, the same thing happens. If you have the, the, uh, the wound, the, the enemy's throwing you arrows or shooting arrows at you, and there's the potential of a wound. If you hear a bad report or if you're waiting and you haven't yet seen the results, hope deferred, there's the potential of having a wound. When that happens, here's a series of, of what can lead to this infection this spiritual infection. First of all, we may become more vulnerable to the enemy's tactics. And we may be pulled away from the foundations of our faith, causing our immune system to be weakened. Our faith's still there, but because of that thing that you heard or that thing that's happening, you may be like pulled away from that foundation and your immune system is weakened. Um, an example in the natural is um, if you are in a weakened state 
of, in your physical body, if you're not getting enough rest, if you're under a lot of stress, if you are um, uh, um, whatever, where your immune system is, is, is compromised, you're more likely to get sick. You're more likely to get an infection. And that's what's happening in the spiritual realm. Your immune system is being compromised if you're pulled away, if you allow yourselves to be pulled away from the foundations of faith. Now, what happens when these attacks come? Our questions arise. Questions are good. There's nothing wrong with questions. But when you have questions, there are two directions that you can go. When you have questions, when all of this is happening, those questions, first of all, this is the good way, have the potential to lead you directly to God, to his word, to a place like this, to a mentor, to Kathy or Fran or Lisa or Linda or Yvonne, to say, okay, I need, I need you to help me get grounded. That's good. When your questions put you, propel you to God, that's a good thing. When I got that call from Jerry on the weekend and he told me what I just told you, Kathy was at the cottage with me. I had Kathy. We were together. I called Fran. I needed people to stand around me to, like, okay. <laughs> I don't like hearing that kind of a, 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 oh, sorry, scared me. I don't like hearing that kind of thing. I needed to go to people who would point me back to the word, point me back to what God says. And that's, that's a good thing. The second thing that can happen when you have questions is not good. The second thing that can possibly happen is that you are led away from truth because you're pursuing human reasoning that's not in agreement with God's word. Very often it has to do with one of two things, either doctor stuff, like the next treatment or the next... Um, tests that you're going to have or whatever, or it might lead you away from um, your faith and that foundation of truth to a place where you're not so sure if the truth is really true. And that's very damaging. So the danger, the danger of these questions is if they lead you to question God's promises and his goodness. And the sickness of heart that is referred to in Proverbs, where it says hope deferred makes the heart sick, that sickness is when you no longer believe in God's goodness. When you no longer believe in his promises and you say, well, that must not be true because it's not working for me. That's a sick heart. Now, that thing, that hopelessness or hope deferred has the potential to do three things. First of all, it has the potential to poison your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Second of all, it has the potential to lead you to unbelief. And thirdly, hope deferred has the potential to cancel out the flow of miracles in your life. Because our part is believing. And if we're in unbelief, we're canceling out the flow of miracles. What I'm going to share next, and I put these on your paper because I want you to have these in front of your face. I'm going to share, bless you, bless you, bless you. <laughs> I'm going to share three symptoms of an infection. In the natural, if you have an infection, there are very often symptoms. There might be a fever. There might be um, pain. There might be um, oozing or something, you know, of the infected area. So there's symptoms that, that, um, lead, that show you that there's a possible infection. I'm going to give you three symptoms of a possible spiritual infection of hopelessness. So here's the first one. Are you denying God's true nature and embracing sickness and disease as gifts from God? If you are, you've bought a lie. If you are, you were infected. Your soul's infected with this thing that's leading to hopelessness. That's a lie. The, the nature of God is only good. John 10.10 10 says that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. And God came to give us a life and a life of abundance. 
If you have a sickness and disease and you're embracing it as a gift from God, and this is really common out there in the, in the world, people say that all the time. That's a lie. It's actually blasphemous because you're attributing to God the works of the enemy. Many times we don't know we're doing it because that's what the world does. Kathy said something last week that really was powerful, and I'm going to repeat it right now. This is what she said. She said that the enemy masquerades as angel of light. It sounds good. It sounds holy. It sounds possibly true that God would teach you a lesson by giving you a disease. That is not true. It's the enemy masquerading as an angel of light. But here's the flip side. God never masquerades as darkness. He does not do it. So that is a sign that you are, you've bought, you're feeding this infection. You are the most blessed woman in this place. <laughs> and don't, don't worry if you keep sneezing. My mother-in-law does that. She sneezes like 20 times. And we just keep saying, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. You're welcome. So that's the first symptom. Here's the second symptom. Is your focus completely on yourself? Are you looking inward and blaming yourself for not receiving healing for some reason? Are you asking yourself questions like, what am I missing? What am I not doing? Am I doing enough? Do I have enough faith? If that's what you're doing, again, you're buying the enemy's subtle deception. And it's hindering your faith because you're not looking at the source of your faith. If you're looking at yourself, you're looking at the wrong person. If you're looking at your works, you're looking at the wrong thing because it's not about your works. It's about the finished work of Jesus. But the flip is also true. If your eyes are on Jesus, if your eyes are on him and you're exalting the truth over the facts, your faith will rise up. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the natural. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what you just heard me tell you. It doesn't matter if your eyes are on Jesus. Jesus is exalted and your faith rises up. So that's the second symptom. If you're very self-focused instead of God-focused. And here's the third symptom. When Christians face disappointment when their hope is damaged or when their hope is deferred, they often become intellectually offended. The definition of intellectual offense is when you have unanswered questions that are a stumbling block for your thinking. They're a stumbling block and they block your ability to trust in the unseen. These unanswered questions because of the hope that's either been, that's taken a hit or you haven't seen the realization of it yet. You have unanswered questions and instead of running to God, there's a stumbling block that prevents you. It blocks, it blocks your ability to believe in the unseen. Instead, you're believing in what you see instead of believing in the unseen. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to show you some um, biblical accounts where this is, is very, very clear. The first one is about John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist. He was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be the one that would prepare the way of the Lord. He was conceived in the womb of Elizabeth before Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary. When he was born, he was separated to God for the purpose of being this prophet. When he grew up, he was the prophet that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He preached, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He preached the message of repentance and being ready for the Messiah. He baptized people in the Jordan River. And then, and then he recognized Jesus when he came. He, because of the, the, the sensitivity in his life and in his heart with God, he knew that was Jesus. And when Jesus came, he knew it. And he said, I'm not even worthy to, to tie your sandals. And Jesus said, I want you to baptize me. And when he did, the Spirit, John the Baptist saw the Spirit of God descend 
on Jesus like a dove. This account that I'm going to read is about John, that same John the Baptist. After he baptized Jesus, after he was imprisoned, listen to this. And when John had heard and in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to him, to Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? This is John the Baptist. He knew Jesus. He had been born for such a purpose as this. And yet he's asking, are you the one or should we wait for another? He's now in prison. He's in the middle of a, a, a time of hope deferred. He's in the middle of a time of trial. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So Jesus went back and he said, yeah, I am who I am. I am who you know I am. And my works are evidence of that. But then he says, blessed are those who are not offended, who don't stumble with those unanswered questions that block our ability to believe and receive, that block our ability to believe in the unseen. The next example I want to give to you is the example of Jesus in his hometown. And this is in Matthew chapter 13. Let me open my Bible. So Jesus comes into his own hometown, which is Nazareth. And he taught in their synagogue. They were amazed with bewildered wonder and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And do not all his sisters live here among us? Where then did this man get all this? And they took offense at him. They were repelled and hindered from acknowledging his authority and caused to stumble. So they had a lot of intellectual knowledge about who Jesus was. It didn't make sense to them that this son of a carpenter, this son of Joseph and Mary and all of the brothers and sisters, should be anybody great like the Messiah. It didn't make sense to them. And they were offended. And it literally says in my Amplified translation, it says they were hindered from acknowledging his authority and caused to stumble. That's what happens when we are intellectually offended. We don't acknowledge. We are unable to acknowledge the, 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 the truth. We're not able to acknowledge, believe, and receive. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And he did not do many works of power there because of their unbelief, their lack of faith in the divine mission of Jesus. So offense will block your ability to believe in the unseen. And that's what happened. Their unbelief blocked them from receiving. Now, we, we know in the Gospels, Jesus went everywhere and everyone was healed. Multitudes were healed. Everybody was healed. This is the only example in the Bible where it says not many were able to be healed. And it has to do with this offense that prevents them, that blocks their ability to believe in the unseen. Their faith was short-circuited. There was a short, and the power couldn't do its thing to heal them. So here's a warning sign for us. I don't want to be in that position of short-circuiting God's power. I don't want to be in that position of being offended. Here is a, a signal that you may be in that place, and it's if you hear or feel or in your heart say, I already know that. I know that. You know, Cindy's read that scripture many times. I already know that. Now, knowing it isn't a problem, but what we want is to be open for God to speak again, to refresh that truth in us, to 
unpack it even more, to make it even deeper, and to let that truth minister to us. That ministered to me so much today when I read it. Oh, it ministered to me so much. And it was like God was just loving on me as I was reading that scripture today. And it was actually for something else that my soul needed. But he always does that when we are open and let him. So be cautious. Be teachable. And allow the living word to be engrafted in your soul. Engrafted means that it's attached to you and the life of the word can, can come in. Can come in. The life of the word. Because there's life in that word. So let the engrafted word feed your spirit. Feed your soul. I'm going to give you now two biblical examples of people who did not become offended and didn't have a stumbling block. And they realized the, the, the object of their faith. They had it come to pass in their lives. So the first example is in Hebrews chapter 11. This is another scripture that God has just been speaking to me this week about. And it has to do with Abraham. So Abraham, I often teach about Abraham being this man, this great man of faith, who considered not his impotence in his old age and his wife's barrenness. And against all hope, he believed, and he became the father of many nations. And that's amazing. But this, this scripture takes it a whole other step. This is the scripture where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his beloved son, that son that he waited 99 years for, the son that was supposed to give him his descendants. And God said to sacrifice him. But look at what the scripture says, starting with verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative, way, figurative manner. He, didn't, he wasn't offended. If there's any stumbling block that I'd stumble over, that would be it. But he didn't. It didn't block his ability to believe in the unseen. He said, I don't know how God's going to do this. He might have to raise my son from the dead, but I know he's going to do it. And he believed, and he wasn't offended. And God saw his faith, and his son was figuratively raised from the dead. And then we know that this is a, a type and shadow of Jesus, who is the only begotten son of the Father, and who was sacrificed for us. Mm. The next example that I want to share with you of not being offended is in Matthew chapter 15 starting with verse 22. And this is the account of the Canaanite woman. So this is a woman who's not a covenant person. And before Jesus died for us and purchased our redemption, there were on, the only covenant people were the Jewish, the Jewish people. And this wasn't a covenant woman. So behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. So there's the first opportunity for offense. His disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Another opportunity to be offended. The disciples are saying, Go away. Tell her to go away. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, he's saying no. He's telling her no, basically. And then, and then... She came and worshipped him. She didn't take offense. She didn't get mad. She didn't say that's, that's prejudice or that's racial in whatever they call it. She said she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Another opportunity to be offended. But she didn't get offended. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. 
and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Nothing blocked her ability to believe in the unseen. She knew what Jesus, she knew him. She'd seen his reputation. She knew he was a healer. Nothing was going to stop her from believing. And she realized the object of her faith. Her daughter was healed. Okay, we're going to switch gears now. We looked at hopelessness and a whole bunch of symptoms and a whole bunch of infection um, things. Now we're going to look at hopefulness and spiritual medicine to get rid of that infection. So hopefulness, again, it has the suffix N-E-S-S, which is a state of being. Hopefulness is the state of being full of hope. There's an antidote for hopelessness, that thing we've been talking about for the last 20, 30 minutes. There's an antidote. And the antidote is a living hope. The antidote is a hope that can be totally realized. A hope that extends from now into eternity and never ever fades. A hope that is available to all who believe and accept Jesus. Because the living hope is Jesus. The living hope is Jesus and the price that he paid and the sacrifice that he completed so that we could live and move and have our being in him so that we could live the fullness of life that he came to give us. 1 Peter 3 and 4. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The word begotten in the scripture is born again, born anew. In many um, translations, it uses the words born again or born anew. Because of what Jesus did, if we, if, if we believe and accept his sacrifice, we receive that living hope. It's the antidote for hopelessness. We receive living hope and we receive the inheritance that never fades, the inheritance that goes on forever with everything that we've talked about that grace brings. Complete remission of sin, life eternal that starts from the moment you receive your salvation, healing wholeness, deliverance, provision, peace, joy, and everything else that God has for us. It's an amazing package. That's our living hope. That's our inheritance, and it comes through Jesus. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, very beautiful, amazing scripture. I love it. It says, faith now, now, present tense, this very moment. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Again, the word hope. This biblical word hope is that confident, favorable expectation, a happy, joyous anticipation of good, the source of which is God and his promises. So if we look at the scripture, the things we hope for, those things that we're confident of, that we have an expectation of, that is based on our faith. Our expectation comes because we're fully persuaded of God and his faithfulness and his word. Now, the only way you're going to be fully persuaded is to have this word in your heart. <laughs> To have this word engrafted into you, infused into you, feeding on his word. There's a scripture in John 15 that says, Abide in me and let my word abide in you. 
and ask whatever you will, and it will be given to you. But abiding means letting that word feed you, letting that engrafted word feed you. Just feel a really heavy anointing with that word. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. This conviction, this full persuasion of what God's word says is true is the substance for our hope. Knowing his truth, knowing his word, knowing his promises is the substance for our hope. So we can say this. I am expecting something good because I'm persuaded of something true. Isn't that good? I'm expecting something good because I am persuaded of something true. So how do we get to that place of having that statement be living within us, not just words, but alive within us? So what I'm going to share for the next little bit are, are four different medicines. Sometimes if you need medicine, you need a little bit of this for this thing and a little bit of this for this thing, and you need more than one medicine, so I'm going to give you four. Four spiritual medicines for the infection of hopelessness. When my little ones used to um, have ear infections or a bronchial infection or whatever, they'd, I'd take them to the doctor and they'd get amoxicillin or some other medicine. They'd take that medicine and that infection went away. So if you're fighting hopelessness, if you sense some of those symptoms in your life, this medicine, you can be confident that when you take this medicine, you will be healed of that spiritual infection. So here's the first one. Hope is a choice. So the medicine is to choose hope. It's a choice. It's not based on feelings. It's based on saying, I choose to hope. I'm going to give you some biblical examples where this is shown, shown to us in the word. And the first one is Psalm 42. It's actually this verse that I'm going to read is repeated three times. Twice in chapter 42 of Psalms and once in chapter 43. The psalmist in these two chapters is crying out to God and pouring out his despair, his discouragement. Everything's going wrong. He's in the middle of a huge trial. And all he's doing is crying out to God with the problem and the desperation of the problem. But this verse is repeated three times. And this is it. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. So here he is. Here this, this person is. Discouraged, sad. The, soul, the heart, the soul feeling, oh, sad. And yet he says, he makes a choice. He chooses to hope. He said, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him because he's my savior. He's my God. I may not see what I want to see, but I'm going to praise him anyway. And I'm going to choose to hope. Here's another scripture, Psalm 27, 13. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So the first part says, I would have lost hope. I would have lost heart. That's the soul. Remember the downward spiral to the sickness of soul that doesn't any longer believe in the goodness of God or his promises? That's what would have happened. Except unless I had believed in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That might be your word. I believe right now in the goodness of God shown to me here and now in the land of the living. I have used that scripture many times in my prayer life. We, we often hear, and this is, this is a partial lie, it's a whitewashed truth, where it says when somebody passes away and, and then we hear the, the term or the, the statement that says, they received their healing in heaven. And it's a whitewashed truth. Now, the, 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 I'm, yes, they're, they're whole in heaven, absolutely. I'm not saying they're not. But God would have been glorified if they would have been healed here on this earth. In the land of the living, that's what this scripture says. 
The goodness of God is here and now in the land of the living. That might be your word. Maybe you've been given a death sentence. That might be your word. And you might want to say, I will see the goodness of the Lord in my body, in my life, here in the land of the living. Amen. So that's a way to um, give your soul medicine, is to choose to hope, to speak it out. Number two, the second medicine, is to go to God, just like the psalmist did. Be absolutely gut-level honest with God. Go to him. Talk to him about your discouragement. Talk to him about hopelessness. Talk about what's going on in your life and what it looks like to you. Go to God. And then listen to him. And wait for him to respond. Ask him to give you a promise in his word for that specific problem. And he will. And then meditate on that promise. And let it stir up hope in you. You've all heard my story about when the devil tried to steal my voice. And God gave me a specific word in the book of Psalms that said, I will sing to you. I will shout with praise. Even though I couldn't sing and I couldn't shout. I declared that scripture. I declared that scripture. And I saw my voice return. I saw the object of what I was believing for come to pass. So go to God, get that word, meditate on that word. I'm going to share a testimony now, um, a short testimony from a, w a woman that I know well. Um, she reminds me of that book, chapter 42 and 43 of the book of Psalms. The title that I have on here is Erica, Healed of Se Severe Depression, Insecurity, and Suicidal Thoughts. She had all sorts of stuff going on in her, and she did what I'm telling you right now. Listen to this. Since I was a young elementary school-aged girl, I had thoughts of depression, insecurity, and suicide. They were so familiar that I thought it was normal. That's the lie. That's the mindset that the enemy gets you to buy, or got her to buy. I often thought about disappearing, that I had nothing good to offer, and the world would be better off without me, so I should just end my life. I would usually push them down, not address them, and move on. In adulthood, a series of life events brought me to the point that I finally admitted these thoughts, these thoughts of depression, insecurity, and suicide. And a dear friend assured me this was not normal. She told me that God loves me and created me perfectly with a purpose and I could be free of those oppressive voices. I began reading God's word and searching through the scriptures for truths that were hardest for me to believe. Truths about God's love, his goodness, and his grace. When a scripture hit my heart that was difficult to believe, I would write it on an index card, and I carried those cards with me everywhere. 2 Corinthians 10.5 states, Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When the lies of the deceiver came and the voices in my head started talking, I would pick up my scripture cards and read them aloud to myself, sometimes declaring them boldly and loudly so that the word of God drowned out all the lies and all the voices. There were days I would speak God's truth with tears streaming down my cheeks because it was so hard to believe. Sometimes I would say, God, this is what your truth says, so I choose to believe. Believing isn't a feeling, it's a choice. The more I spoke truth, the more I believed it. Today, the tormenting voices and lies are gone. God is the God of life and hope and freedom. Standing on the truth of his word and believing that he keeps his promises has brought me freedom, joy, and peace. So she was in a state of hopelessness. She'd bought a lie. She'd bought the oppressive voices, the lies, in her soul. She had let them seethe and settle. And she needed to go to God and get a word and meditate on that word 
until it became truth to her. And, and hope rose up. Life rose up. Healing rose up. And she's now, um, you, this woman is amazing. Kathy knows who this person is. She's an amazing woman of God. So that's the second thing. Go to God. Number three. If you realize you've bought a lie, this deceptive lie of hopelessness, you need to renounce it. The word renounce means to disown it. If you've been owning it, you need to disown it. You need to reject it. The other part that goes with the lie is anything that was connected to the lie, such as thought patterns. In her case, it was suicide thought patterns. It, it means the emotions that were attached to it or the behaviors that are surrounding it. Behaviors that go with depression, behaviors that go with fear, all of those kinds of things. Everything in that little package of yuck, we need to reject them as the enemy's lies and eject them from your life. We have the authority to do that. My prayer, Father God, my prayer is that as we expose this big fat lie, that we take it and get rid of it and then replace it with your truth. In Jesus' name. So what we're going to do now, I've written this out for you because I want you to have this to take with you. So we're going to read this part that's in italics. We're going to read it out loud. We're going to read it, at least I am. I'm going to read it fervently like I mean it. And I'm going to read it slowly and I'm going to tell the devil to get the heck out of me in any area that there's hopelessness. And I want you to do the same thing. Okay, here we go. I renounce the deceptive lie of hopelessness. I break all ties and cancel every agreement I have made with the lie of hopelessness that has infected my life. I command the lie of hopelessness to remove your foothold from my life and leave me now in the name of Jesus and by the power of his blood. I will no longer partner with a deceptive lie of hopelessness. I break the assignment the lie of hopelessness had over my life, and I claim back all ground and authority that the father of lies has stolen. Amen. Amen. Isn't that good? So that's something you can do. If you sense that, that oppression, you can say, oh, no, I'm not buying that. That's a lie. And then renounce it. Disown it. Don't let that thing be yours. That's a lie. So this, the fourth piece of medicine is to fill that lie in with the truth. You get rid of the lie, and God will replace it with truth, and the truth will set you free. So here's what we're going to do. Hope is something that you can build. So I'm going to give you three ways to build hopefulness, the state of being filled with hope. First of all, stop complaining and count your blessings. Instead of feeding on the negative, feed your heart on what God has already done and what he's doing now and what his word says that he's done. Don't feed yourself on all the other stuff. Feed yourself on his faithfulness and what he has done. So that's the first thing. Stop complaining and count your blessings. Second thing, Celebrate the goodness of God. In that psalm that I read in Psalm 42, it says, I will hope, and then it says, I will praise. When we celebrate the goodness of God in the very area that the devil's trying to get us to buy a lie, oh, is it powerful. So whatever that area is, praise God that he is the God to take care of that problem. So if you need healing, if the lie is hopelessness because you haven't yet received healing, praise him because he's the healer. Praise him because he's Jehovah Rapha. Praise him because Jesus took the stripes on his back for your healing. Praise him because surely he has carried your pain and your disease. The chastisement of your healing, your wholeness was upon him. By his stripes you're healed. Praise him. Use his word. 
agree with him by decree, agree with him, with his own word, and praise him. Maybe what you're needing isn't healing. Maybe what you're needing is, is um, provision. Then praise him that he's the Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Whatever it is that your need is, praise him because he is the God who will fulfill that need, who's already done it in the spiritual realm. Praise him for it. And this is Bill Johnson's word of advice, and I love it. He said, the deeper the despair, the deeper the disappointment, the greater your expression of praise should be. So look at how hopeless it is. Look at how awful it is. And make your praise, oh, overcome it. Get radical. Get radical with your praise. One of the things that I love to do is to take whatever that problem is. We've done this at Kathy's house before. Take that bad report that the doctor gives you. Put it on the floor. Put on the praise music. And start dancing all over it. Praising God for the finished work and what he says. His report is so much bigger than that report. But whatever it is, praise God. Big, praise him. Celebrate his goodness. God can't help but show up when the declaration of his goodness is made. So celebrate his goodness. And number three, or the third thing, to build up that hopefulness, and that is to receive God's peace. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now here's the bottom line. It says here that when we pray, give God our, our needs with thanksgiving, that he gives us peace that passes all understanding. But in order to receive that peace that surpasses all understanding, we have to give up our right to understand. And we don't, human beings don't do that very well. We want to understand it all. We don't have to understand it all. Just say, I don't care. I don't have to understand. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why this is happening, but I don't have to understand God. And just watch his peace saturate you. Guard your heart. Remember, we're talking about the soul, that hopelessness thing, that sick heart thing. He'll guard you. You won't have a sick heart. The infection will be healed. It'll be sealed with the protection of the peace of God. And the hopelessness won't have any way in. I remember going through hopelessness. It was not good. I remember going through fear and hopelessness and oppression. And I remember when that left and I had peace that was so beautiful. It was like, oh, it was heaven after I had lived through the other. And that's, that's when the spiritual infection has been healed. When you have peace. Jerry's in that position, guys. Completely. He is completely no fear at all. He is in so much peace. It's amazing. Joy even. Peace and joy. So, when we take our medicine and the infection is gone, this is the result. Number one, you have a defensive shield. A defensive shield that's protecting you. Your immune system is built back up. And secondly, you have an offensive tactic that is launched against the enemy of your soul that he can't penetrate, he can't stand against. You have defensive and offensive. Defensive shield and an offensive tactic launched. That's good news. So let's go back to that Proverbs 13, 12 and look at the second part. We're going to wrap it up. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. Today when I was meditating on this, I realized, I believe it was a Holy Spirit realization, that 
A desire does not need to be realized to be fulfilled. It says a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. A desire, you don't need to have the object of the desire in order for it to be fulfilled. Our healing is fulfilled. It's done. It's completed. Jesus completed it for us. When, oh, thank you, Father. When I know that it's done, I don't even have to see it here. When I know that it's done, I am a tree of life. I'm going to close with Jeremiah 17 about the tree of life, and I'm going to show you the benefits. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Notice it doesn't say, blessed are they who have, who have gotten the answer to their prayers. That's not what it says. It says, blessed are they who trust in the Lord and they have the living hope. They've made the Lord their hope and their confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank. That's the tree of life. With roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. So let's break the scripture down. On your handout, it's, it says, it has a statement, then it has one, two, three, four. So here's the statement. It start, the scripture starts and it says, trust in the Lord. It says, blessed are you when you trust in the Lord. So let's do that. Trust in the Lord and make him your hope and your confidence. Remember, God is the object of our hope. God's promises is the source of our hope. He's our living hope. He's the antidote for hopelessness. So that's the first step. And then all the stuff happens. First of all, it says that you'll have roots that reach deep into the water. That means you're going to be well-nourished. Those roots of the truth will be deeply in you, and they'll grow deep. You won't have these little shallow things that get pulled out easily. They're re deep, deep roots of truth. As you feed on the truth, as you take that word and meditate on it, it's going to be so deep in you because you're feeding. It's like roots by the water. And when those, those oak trees, those trees of life are planted by the riverbank, they grow sturdy and tall and massive and immense. That's you. That's the first thing. Secondly, in the scripture it says, such trees are not bothered by the heat. You will not be bothered by the heat of the enemy's lies. That lie of hopelessness or any other lie. You will not be bothered. Thirdly, the scripture says, or you won't be worried by long months of drought. So we won't have to dwell in that place of worry or fear or anxiety if, our, if or when we're waiting. Our hope is when, our, when we're waiting for the object of our hope to be fulfilled. There won't be worries or anxiety or fear. And fourth, the scripture says, their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. We're going to stay green. Green means life. Filled. Jesus came to give life. We'll live that life. And we will never stop producing fruit. There will be fruit, evidence of life growing from us. And people will want that fruit. Trust in the Lord. Let him be your hope. Let him be your confidence. And all that other stuff is, is a result. So I have one more set of declarations we're going to close with. And then we're going to praise God with a beautiful hope anthem so let's let's again declare this truth this is based on jeremiah 17 that we just read let's declare this truth and just step into a position of hope choose hope okay here we go i trust you lord you are my hope and my confidence 
I am like a tree planted along a river bank. I am well nourished with roots of your truth that are deeply and firmly established in my heart. I am not bothered by the heat of the enemy's deception or his lies that try to lead me away from you. I am not worried or anxious or fearful during long months of drought. Instead, I stand firm and simply defend the healing that you obtained for me at the cross. I am a tree of life. I receive hope, and I believe that the object of my hope will be manifested in my life, and I will never stop producing fruit. I am victorious through Jesus and his completed work. Amen and amen.